It's a beautiful, beautiful hymn. I ask that you pray for me this morning. You have your Bible, you can turn to Colossians chapter 3. But as you're turning there, I'm going to read again from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, where Moses is commanding the children of Israel. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Last week I tried to preach to you about loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might, and I thought I might share with you how that message, I believe, was placed on my heart. It was through Brother Mark Lepianca's prayer two weeks ago. If you remember, he began that prayer by confessing. He said, Lord, I must confess to you that I have not sought you with my whole heart. And that hit me like a ton of bricks um, when he said that. You know, James said that we should confess our faults one to another and pray one for another that we may be healed. I think that took a lot of courage to begin a prayer publicly like that, but, you know, it began some introspection, I guess, on my part to say, Lord, am I really seeking you with all of my heart? And we closed last week with Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, where Paul says to the Colossian church, whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Notice he says, whatsoever you do in word, that's anything you say. And then whatever you do in deed, your actions, what you do, do them all in the name of the Lord Jesus. With, a, with an aim towards his glory. Everything we say, everything we do. Paul told the Corinthians, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all the glory of God. Um, and you know, that's, if we're going to be honest about ourselves as Christian disciples, <clears throat> that's, that's what God expects of his people, right? Is there all? Now, none of us are going to, we're never going to, be perfect in our obedience to God, right? And I don't want to make you think that you could be perfect in everything that you do, but the expectation of God himself is that you give it your best effort from the day you were baptized till the day that you die. When you begin to follow the Lord as a disciple, to follow the Lord as a disciple of Jesus Christ, that whatever you do, in word or deed, now, does that get home to all of us? Not just what you do with your body <laughs> or maybe what you do with your money or what you do with your time. He says even the words that come out of your mouth should be to his glory. Should be, listen to what it says. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, Pro Proverbs 22 and 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Many of y'all ever... Um, you know, if you ever think about your mom or your dad or maybe grandparents and you think, they gave me a name, right? They, they passed a name down to you. Maybe you, your last name. You know, the way, I, the way I present myself and act, that represents my dad and my mom, right? And my grandparents and my family. Well, 
I want to, so I want to act in such a way that gives them a good name. Think about when someone marries someone else, they take on the name of their husband, and so what you do represents him, and what he does represents you. Well, here, here Paul is saying that what we do, what we say, it, it is not just about our reputation, but it impacts the reputation of our Lord and our God. And if there's one thing that he's serious about, it's his reputation, isn't it? He wants the glory. He wants to be spoken well of. When, when David committed that huge transgression with Bathsheba, and Nathan the prophet comes to him after he had Uriah killed, and he, and he presents the parable to David, and, and he convicts David. He says, you are the man, David, that did this. David begins to repent. And, and, and Nathan says to him that the Lord is going to, uh, he's going to put away your sin, and you're not going to die. But then he says to him, but because you've given great opportunity to the enemies of God to blaspheme, the child is going to die. He says, basically what he's saying there is because you have given opportunity to the enemies of God to speak bad about God, and you've hurt his reputation, there's going to be huge consequences for you and your family. Do you all understand that? And so the, the, the greatness in that is that he's saying, David, your sins are forgiven. They won't be held against you because those have been placed on Christ in eternity. You'll be there in heaven. But you're going to suffer some earthly consequences because of what you've done. And it, and it wasn't... It wasn't just the seriousness of his sin, but it was the consequences of his sin and that it, 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 it hurt the reputation of God. And so when Paul says that you should do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying that you should, everything you do and everything you say represents God. Now, does that, does that convict anybody here today? It convicts me. Some of you last week said that sermon was convicting. It convicted me. <laughs> If you think it's convicting to you to hear it, try to preach it <laughs> and then have to live it. It's very convicting. Brother Chris McCool was at Grants Mill Church. We had a great attendance. I got to go Friday night. A lot of people from Vestavia were there. And, and he talked some about how the preacher is, is really, I mean, and, and it's true, is no better than the person in the pew. They still struggle with the same sins. They still struggle with the same inability in their nature. Well, I do that as well. So when I see here that, that Paul is saying that whatever you say or whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord, that convicts me. And then he says this, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. See, that's another reason that all that we do and all that we say should be in the name of the Lord because it is through the Lord Jesus that we give thanks to God, that we glorify God, that we praise God. How do you want to praise the Father? By making much of the Son. We want, we want to make as much of the Son as we possibly can here in this church, right? We want to give him credit for our salvation. We want to give him credit for our temporal deliverances. We want to give him credit when we get a promotion at work or when we have new life in our church. We should want to, we should want to magnify the Son, the Son of God, because that's how you magnify the Father. <laughs> and you do that through the Spirit. Do you see the triunity in how we worship God? With the help of the Spirit, we magnify the Son to worship the Father, and so that is how we praise God. 
is through magnifying his son. Now, once you see that the way we live is going to impact God's reputation, it's going to impact his glory, you can begin to understand why he would, he would say this. But if you're like me, you may wonder, how do, I, how do I get there? I know there's the standard, but how do I get there, right? Because I see myself falling short of the standard, so how do I get better? Well, we have to go back to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. And that is what Paul is working his way towards in verse 17, is how these saints, these faithful ones at Colossae, could live their life in such a way that everything they say and everything they do represents God in a good way and gives thanks to God through Jesus Christ. So he begins in verse 1 by saying this, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Now, he's, the, the word if there is not uh, somehow trying to indicate that maybe you haven't been risen, what that really means is since you have been risen with Christ, seek those things that are above. Do you know in the mind of God, when Christ was resurrected from the grave, we were represented in him? That's why he can... That's why he can take our stony heart and regenerate us and give us new life in Christ is because we were represented in Christ in his death, we were represented in Christ in his burial, and we were represented in Christ in his resurrection. Christ represented us. He was our representative to, to take away our sins and to give us his righteousness. And so Paul begins chapter 3 here by saying, If you then be risen with Christ, if you've been given new life, if you've been born again, I want, I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 1 for just a moment. Paul says to the Ephesians, beginning in verse 15, he says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe? He says, I want you to understand the power of God that he has demonstrated towards us, the ones that believe, the saints, the faithful that were at Ephesus, the same saints and the faithful that were at Colossae, the same saints and the faithful in Jesus Christ that are at Vestavia. If you want to understand how you can believe, how you came to believe, it was according to the working of his mighty power. Do you see that? He says the only reason you have the ability to embrace the gospel message or understand that you've been risen with Christ is because God through his mighty power has, has, has demonstrated his love and his power and his grace towards you to take away your stony heart and to give you a heart of feeling and understanding and his spirit has been implanted within you and that's why you can believe. Isn't that amazing? Does you see how, you see how God gets the glory in that? That it's not that, that somehow I came to believe this message, but it was that God overpowered me with his mighty power and gave me his spirit, which led me to believe. Do y'all see that? Now, but listen to verse 20. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead 
and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him power, or, or gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Now, it, 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 it blows my mind, and it, 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 I think it gives me a glimpse into the overwhelming power of God that changed my heart when I see that it was the same power that changed my heart that raised Christ from the dead. Do you see that? It took the same power that raised Christ from the dead to raise your heart to life, to let you see spiritual things, to give you uh, the nature of God. You know, the, the Bible says very clearly that the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. They were foolishness unto him. So without the power of God, the preaching of the gospel doesn't ring true in your mind. You can tell somebody you've been risen with Christ without the power of God uh, changing their heart. That doesn't mean anything to them. They don't associate with that. But if you and me today, we read about being risen with Christ, then, then, and, and it rings true to us, and we feel uh, peace with that, and we feel, uh, we, we feel a, a love towards God, thinking about what Christ has done for us, that's because God, through his power, has changed your heart. And he gets all the glory for that. And so Paul's saying, if or since then you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And once again, I feel like I say this every few weeks, he's talking about your mind. You see that? To, to seek something, he's not talking about a physical pursuit of those things which are above. You can't physically pursue heaven or where Christ is, but you can think about it and you can meditate on it and you can seek to know more about it. And so he says, seek those things which are above. I think we looked at Matthew chapter 6 last week for a moment. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, on this Sermon on Discipleship. He says in verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. Now, he's not saying that, that you don't accumulate clothing or food or, or even valuables, but he's saying there, that you don't value those things of the earth more than the things in heaven, right? More than the kingdom, more than the king himself. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. See, there's nothing we have on earth, <laughs> whether our Families, our homes, our valuables, whatever it may be that couldn't be taken from us. But we have something in heaven that could never be taken from us. Our relationship with God, right? And listen to what he says here. So when he says that you need to invest in these heavenly things, he says in verse 21, remember we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our strength and all our might. He says in verse 21, how are we going to do this? How are we going to say and do everything to the glory of God? For where your treasure is... There will your heart be also. Now I want you to notice here, Jesus didn't say for where your heart is, there will your treasure be. Although that could be true. 
He, he begins by saying, because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What, what I believe he's saying is, where you are investing your, your time and your attention and your money and your energy, your heart's going to follow. So a lot of people say, well, I'm not getting anything out of church. I'm not getting anything out of um, the, the preaching of the gospel. I'm not getting anything out of this relationship with Jesus. But they're spending all their time and energy pursuing other things and not him. So their heart has gone to that. Their heart has gone to something else. And, and listen, we've got all kinds of things to do. But above all, the thing that you value the most, if you value the gospel and reading his word and praying to him and, and being in worship where the preaching of the gospel is proclaimed and the singing of hymns uh, and, and psalms and spiritual songs take place and prayers are offered on a corporate level, if you really treasure that and put your attention and your time and your devotion to that, your heart will follow. And you'll begin to love the church more. And you'll begin to... It, it's amazing. You know, I've heard Brother Sonny Piles say this. It's, a, it's amazing how a man can preach a message, and I'm guilty of this. You can preach a message and you can say, I got nothing out of that. Y'all ever been in a, y'all ever, ever criticized the preacher? Yes, you have. <laughs> y'all are trying to do it sometime. <laughs> I criticize preachers a lot less. <laughs> but I've been there where I said, I got nothing out of that sermon. If you come in hungry enough, and if you're valuing the kingdom, and your heart is in the right place, it doesn't matter if the man's the most eloquent person in the world, or if he makes five succinct points that, that, that are so beautiful. If he opens up the word of God and the spirit of God is there, you'll get something out of the sermon. Because your heart's there. One of the, one of the, one of the reasons that we can't do everything for the glory of God, that we can't... We can't um, we, don't, we, we find it so hard to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our strength, and with all our mind, is because we are valuing things outside of his kingdom more than his kingdom. Do y'all see that? When really everything we do is about his kingdom, we've talked about that, whether it be your family or your friends or your job or your hobbies, whatever you do, <laughs> do it in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by him. That is so convicting to me. So convicting to me. My son was in a Taekwondo tournament yesterday, and I don't really understand the rules to all that. And um, one, of the, one of the referees uh, called a couple of strikes on him, so the other person gets a point when they're sparring. And um, I've always made fun of these crazy parents who get really wrapped up in youth sports. <laughs> and it wasn't long after about that second strike, I looked like Bobby Knight on the sideline. <laughs> I said, that is a terrible call. <laughs> I don't even know how they're calling it, really. <laughs> and I thought, what are you saying, Josh? <laughs> The Lord just struck me and said, what do you do? And I still think it's a bad call. <laughs> but I was, I mean, people are looking at you. You're the preacher of the church. And, um, and your, your words are not demonstrating how much you should serve your Lord. Y'all see that? 
but I was thinking about, I wasn't thinking about things above at that moment. <laughs> I was thinking about that metal. <laughs> and my son, and you know, I got in the car and I said, Carrie, I get it now. <laughs> that was like the first time that I got it. I get why these people get so obsessed. You better watch that. Because <laughs> um, it can be an idol. And so he says, if you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And listen to this. What's above? Listen to what's above. Where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Do y'all see that? We spend a lot of time, I do myself, you do as well, worried about the people who are sitting on the thrones of power in this earth. And we don't spend enough time thinking about the one who's reigning at the right hand of God today. Y'all remember what, what was said there in Ephesians chapter, chapter 1. Talking about that power that God had wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. He's at the right hand of God. I can't, I can't pass this up. Go to, go to the book of Hebrews for just a moment. And you'll see why, why is Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, <laughs> sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. <laughs> he, is, he is now sitting down at the place of supreme authority because the work that was given unto him is accomplished. He is now crowned king. He is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. It doesn't matter it doesn't matter who's in power in Washington or Montgomery or wherever it may be. And those things affect our lives. And I spend a lot of time thinking about it that I probably shouldn't. And I should spend my time thinking about the one who is now seated at the right hand of God. The conquering. See, he's, he's, when, when Paul is telling them to set their affections on things above, that they should, uh, that they should seek those things which are above he's he's reminding them that that although you will face opposition and if you go back to chapter two you will see that there was going to be people who were going to try to persuade them in their ways and try to um, try to persuade them in will worship and all these things although you're going to be faced with all kinds of troubles there's one who is now sitting at the right hand of God all authority has been given to him all power has been given to him he is the one by which uh, we, we can make it in this life do you see that and so he if you're saying how can I how can I do everything and say everything in the name of the Lord. Well, Paul is saying you need to think about him more, basically. <laughs> and not just think about him more. Think about his power more. Think about what he's done for you more. Think about, listen, he says, set your affections, verse 2. That is to focus your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. 
Now, you can't, you, you've got, I know you're all thinking, you got bills to pay and you got emails to, to return and, and the grass needs to be cut. All those things have to be done, but you can do all those with your mind focused on things above. Do you see that? He says, set your affection. When, when you set something, it is set, right? It's not, it's not going uh, to sway from here or there. He says, set your affection on things above so that your mind and your heart is set on those things above and not on the things of the earth for why he says because you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God he's saying that you are listen you are dead to the things of the world you are dead to sin and alive with Christ you are God's do you see that he's saying listen saints, you are God's you are God's precious children. You are God's elect. You are God's chosen. You are God's foreknown. You are the ones who Christ represented when he went to the cross and when he was risen again. And you are, in, in, you are dead with him and your life is hid with Christ. You've been given a new life. It's not the life of this world. That should be dead to you. It's the life of Christ in God. And not only does he say you need to focus on what God is doing for you now, but listen to what he says. When Christ who is our life. They used to have t-shirts, I remember that you could buy, and it would say something like baseball is life or dance is life or whatever you're into is your life. Well, Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Don't you want to be more like Paul? I want to, I want to be, from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed, I want to be more like that, that my life, my, my, see, if you can get that, if you can get that Christ is your life, that, you're, that you are living for him, everything else will take care of itself. Everything else will take care of it. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But when you say, how can, I, how can I say things, everything to worship God to, for the name of Christ, how can I do things for that? Well, you make him your life. And so when you're at work, you're not just working. Uh, Paul would say this in just, in just a moment in this very chapter. He would say in verse 23, when he's speaking to servants, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Do you see that? Because if your life is Christ, when you have those emails to answer or the grass to cut or the laundry to do, you don't have to think, oh, I've got to do this. You can do everything excellent because you are doing it for God's glory and unto him. That'll change the way you think about your job your hobbies, whatever it may be. And listen, I've got a long way to go. I've got a long way to go in this. You've got a long way to go in this. But if you will set your affections on the things above, you'll start to see that you want to do it more. And then when you're thinking about things above, when you're thinking about uh, where, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God and you're thinking about how you, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, have been dead, you've become dead to the things that you see around you and the sin that so easily besets us. Those things don't, they shouldn't impact you anymore. Your life is hid with Christ and God. You can say with Paul, when Christ who is our life, <laughs> he is my life, he is my everything shall appear <laughs> do you notice that he's no longer think, saying think just think about where he is today see a lot of times we can think about where he is today but we lose perspective that where he is today is not where he will always be he will be coming back for us when we don't see when we don't think about the return of christ 
Boy, that, the return of Christ is one of the ways in which we stay motivated to serve him. When we think about the Lord coming back, do y'all think about that a lot? You know, the early church was just looking for him all the time. But it's been 2,000 years, and he hasn't come back. And so what happens? We saw that with, in Haggai, right? What happens when we don't have instant success? Or, or we don't, our needs aren't met instantly. We begin to become apathetic, right? And Peter would talk about that, that the scoffers are going to say, where is his coming? And as they scoff, we begin to think, is he coming back? And then some of us begin to think, well, he's probably coming back one day, but it, it may be years and years and millennia from now. You know, he could come back today. Won't that be a day? I don't even, I don't even know how to describe to you what, exactly what it's going to be like, but it'll be a day unlike any. I get chills thinking about it. What if I'm driving to work one day and the, and the heavens split open and here comes my Lord? You ever think about that when it seems like everything is against us? When it seems like evil men are, are, are getting worse and worse. And, 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 and I kind of believe just when, I, this is my, I won't say that it has to be this way, but I think just, just when the wicked men think we finally got him, he's going to come back <laughs> and deliver his children. You know, that's what Satan finally, probably thought. He thought, I finally got him. I finally got him. He's on the cross. He's being killed. He's dead. We've buried him. Three days later, he came up out of the ground. <laughs> I, believe that's, I, believe, I believe when you look at the book of Revelation, when you look at, at eschatology, look, it can, nothing, nothing causes probably more division <laughs> among Christians than eschatology. <laughs> When's he coming back? And there's people that have their, uh, they have their poster boards and they have their presentations, and I just get confused. <laughs> And the book of Revelation, people argue about when it was written. Is it, has it all already passed? Is it going to pass? One minister told me one time that, that he believes that eschatology, that the Bible, even Revelation and others, were written in such a way that every generation until he comes back will have a hope that he's coming in their generation. <laughs> Do you all think about that? That you would have a hope that he's coming today. But I don't. I mean, we could sit down sometime and talk about eschatology. I have, all, I have a lot of theories. Charles Hodge wrote a theology, a systematic theology book, and um, he made this statement about Christ's second coming, and I, this is what I hold to. He said, I believe the world and Christians will be just as confused about Christ's second coming as the Jews were about his first coming. <laughs> all those experts are going to find out they don't have all the dates right, <laughs> It's not going to happen just like they thought it would, but I can tell you without fail, with every, all certainty that I have, that when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Brother Mark said that satisfies him. <laughs> that satisfies me too. You know, I believe, I believe that the devil has used eschatology to blind people to the grace of God. <laughs> And so if you can just simply say, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him. 
Think about that. When he's coming back, boom, I'm going to be with him in glory. And there won't ever be a preacher. You know, I, I hear it every time I hear Romans 8, 28, 30, and 31 preach. They say, look, it glorifies past tense. And it's so sure in the mind of God that he could already say it. And I've, I've said all that. We'll never say that again. <laughs> we'll say, look, Romans 8, 30, uh, 28, 29, 30 has been fulfilled. <laughs> the foreknown have finally been glorified. It's not going to take thousands of years or anything. The Bible says it's going to take a twinkle of an eye. That when he appears, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Do you all see that? Then shall you also appear with him in glory. All right, go to verse 5. We're talking about how can we live verse 17. Paul says, mortify therefore, because you have set your affection on things above, because you're thinking about Christ who's at the right hand of God, because you understand that you're dead, your life was hid in Christ, because you understand he's coming back, he says, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. That word literally means to put to death. And he, he starts to list things. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. You notice a lot of those or probably all of those, have to do with you wanting things that you shouldn't have, that make you unclean. For which things sake, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. And whether it be those who will be objects of God's wrath at his second coming, or whether it be you who experience his temporal judgment on this earth, one way or another, you're going to, somebody's going to experience some wrath because of these things. That's one thing we, I think we've forgotten. I was thinking about this this morning. Why has, God, why has God delayed judgment on our nation? Because if you read verse 5, that sounds like our nation, doesn't it? And, and I believe God is long-suffering. I believe God is gracious. I believe he is merciful. But he is just. He will. He will either pour his wrath upon the Son of God for you or his wrath on you for disobeying the Son. And so I don't know. I had the thought this morning, maybe he's, maybe he's given us one more chance. Remember when Abraham was petitioning God for Sodom and Gomorrah? He kept giving him another chance and another chance. But listen to verse 7. So verse 6 says, For which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. If you don't get anything else out of this, listen to, listen to verse 2 of chapter 1. It says, To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, To the saints and and faithful brethren. And then in verse 7, he describes the past of the saints and faithful brethren by being those who walked in these idolatrous ways and who not only walked in them, they lived in them. You know, the church of God is full of saints who were once sinners. <laughs> Sometimes great sinners. I've been reading uh, over the last two weeks 
a lot of history of the church. And, and I've been so encouraged by that because God has never used the, he, I mean, he doesn't use the, the ones who don't need a physician, <laughs> the Pharisees who seem to have it all right. He's used the ones like John Newton who, who could write, who saved a wretch like me. <laughs> I was reading about, this was an interesting uh, story. It was, I think his name was Elijah Keach. He was the son of Benjamin Keach. He was one of the signers of the 1689 London Confession. And he came to America, and he was, he was not a Christian man. <laughs> Y'all need to read this story sometime. And, but he came in his dad's clergy outfit because it would give him... <laughs> a better reputation with those in America who met him. And some of them invited them to preach at his church because he was the son of this great Baptist preacher. <laughs> and he accepted the invitation to preach. <laughs> and they, they said he probably was preaching one of his dad's sermons and about halfway through he was so convicted by the Spirit of God that he broke down and confessed to them, I am a sinner I'm not a minister. And he became a, he became a well-known minister himself back in London. God used it. Can y'all think of how horrible would that be to accept an invitation to preach to the people of God and you don't even believe in him? <laughs> but God used that man. You say, well, that's bad. What if you were persecuting the church of God? What if you were holding the coats of those who were killing the saints of God? And you were on your way to kill more of them and find more of them. And God uses you. Listen, God uses people like me and you to expand his kingdom and promote his kingdom and enjoy his kingdom and stand for his kingdom and stand for him and promote his name and give thanks to him and glory to him. Don't ever let the devil tell you that you're not good enough for his church because Christ was good enough for his church. And if Christ was good enough for his church, you're good enough if you were represented by him. Does that make sense today? Does anybody else struggle with that? Is it just me? Have y'all had it all together in your life? I can remember a time I doubted God so much. I had a little statue on my, um, my, my grandparents had given me. It was like a horseshoe man. He was playing guitar. I, don't, I put it in my room when I was in college. And I'd never really thought about God, but I began to think about God, but I, I, didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> and I remember, I remember looking at that statue, sitting on the side of my bed, and I said, God, if you're real, move that statue. What, what, what lack of faith is that? And I'm thankful he didn't. <laughs> I'd have probably died. <laughs> But I thought, I don't know if all this is true. That wasn't honoring to God, was it? And he's using me today. God's ways are not our ways, are they? God uses people who walked in fornication and uncleanness, who couldn't control their passions, who desired things that were forbidden, who coveted things they shouldn't have, who were idolatrous and worshiping the gods of this world. God takes those people and he says, I want you to walk for my glory. 
I want you to do things for my name. He says, verse 8, But now you also put off all these, just like you'd take off a coat, remove it from your life, anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy communication out of your mouth. He says, I want you to get these things away from you. I want to tell you, when you begin to serve God, I've had to do this myself over the last two weeks. I've had to say, there are things that I've, I've allowed myself to watch or things I've allowed myself to be a part of that is filthy. That it draws up anger in me. I have malice against my own countrymen or against people that are children of God. People that are blaspheming the Lord. We should have nothing to do with that. He says, lie not one to another, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds. And have put on the new man. He says, you want to take off the old man and put on the new man, which is renewed. That means to be renovated, to be changed. We watch a show on HGTV. They go in and renovate those homes. They take out the old, the ugly, and they bring in the new. That's what God did to you. You know that? He took out the old and the ugly. And now you can be revealed to the world as someone who's been renewed in, in knowledge after the image of him that created him. You know, God created us in his own image. Adam was created in the image of God. But it doesn't take long until you read that Seth was created or born in the image of Adam. And since the fall of man, we have been carrying a marred image of God. But at your renewal, at your new birth, at your regeneration, God creates something new in you. Isn't that amazing? Listen, listen, listen to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship. We, we are his work. We're the product of his hands. Listen, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Do you see how God gets all the glory in that? He starts by saying, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. In verse 1. He talks about how they've been regenerated, they've been given new life. And he says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You were created in Christ Jesus. You were the product of God's hands. You know, just like God said, the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? Through his voice, he spoke it into existence and he created it out of nothing. It's the same way with you. You were, you were walking after the course of this world. You were walking the prince of the power of the air and God spoke and created something in you. He created you anew. He created you as his child and a spiritual being. And, and, and you know, don't, don't, don't miss that word created. Because 
I, I don't believe in physical evolution with anything I have. I believe the world is, is I don't know, six to 8,000 years old, and I believe God created it with his voice in six literal days. And I hope I go to my grave believing that. I do. And, and, and there was no one there to help him, was it? He was by himself, and he created everything that we see in six days. It is, it is creation. It is not evolution. You know, I believe in spiritual creation as well, not spiritual evolution. <laughs> Have you ever heard people say, if you are, if you, if, to, to people who are dead in sins, saying, but if the dead will do this or if the dead will do that, they can evolve into something that they are not. Do y'all believe that? I don't believe that, that God takes, gives us his spirit any more than he, he needed man to help him in creating the world. He simply speaks to Mark's heart, and Mark's heart is changed. <laughs> he speaks to me, and my heart is chain, changed. He says, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And I love that he's saying, put off, put off these things and put on these new things. I know I've gone over my time. You remember when he, you remember when he called Lazarus? Did y'all just notice that? I said, I know I've gone over my time, and it's like I didn't even phase me. <laughs> I'm sorry. You remember when he called Lazarus out of the tomb? And Lazarus just floated out, I guess. And then he looked to those around him, and he said, loosen and let him go. Take off those stinky, smelly grave clothes. That's what he's saying here. You need to take off those things that make you stink, those things that cause you shame, those things that the Lord abhors, those things that represent death, and you need to put on the things that represent life. He says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free but Christ is all and in all put on therefore as the elect of God holy and beloved bowels of mercy kindness humbleness of mind meekness long suffering forbearing one another and forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel against any even as Christ forgave you so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity. <laughs> Love for each other. You know how this church is going to survive for another generation? If we just love each other. <laughs> it is the bond of perfectness. It is the, the bond of maturity. The thing that's going to bond us together as a church, that's going to bond your marriage together as husband and wife, that's going to bond you your relationship to your children, it's going to be love in action. Not just saying you love them, but actually loving them. Charity, giving of yourself. And, he says, let. Y'all know what that word means? That, that means to permit or to allow. He's going to say, if you want to get to verse 17, you better permit the peace of God to rule in your hearts. To the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. That word rule, it's, it is literally like an umpire or a referee. 
Don't be like Brother Josh arguing with the Spirit of God for your life. Right? Let, if, if, if you're going to do something or not do something or take upon some task or say some words, if, if the peace of God doesn't flow in your heart, if he's saying that's a strike, don't do it, leave it alone. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you are called in one body and be ye thankful. Verse 16, let, once again, See, we're not, just, we're, we're not just robots that God creates anew and then we're going to live perfect lives. When God gives us his spirit, he gives us the ability to demonstrate all the fruit of the spirit. He gives us the ability uh, to answer his calls. He gives us the ability to live a life that is pleasing to him, but he doesn't do it for us. Do y'all see that? So he's saying let. So verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly richly the word of Christ teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs y'all know that's what we do every Sunday we're we are we should be teaching and admonishing one another as we sing these psalms and these hymns and these spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord you know, the last two weeks I've had to lead some of the songs, and I'll be honest with you, I'd rather preach two messages than lead one song. <laughs> I would. Because I'm thinking, boy, they, they, they're good singers. <laughs> they know when I've messed up. <laughs> but you know what? If you're singing with grace in your hearts, the Lord, you don't really care what it's. We ought to sing as, as good as we can, right? <laughs> we, ought to give, we ought to do everything heartily as unto the Lord and sing with excellence. But if you're singing with grace in your heart to the Lord, you don't have to be the best singer in the, in the world. Because <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> but I think the Lord is still pleased with it. <laughs> Let the word of Christ dwell in you. You see how you're going to have to put some effort into this? Some people came to me, and through the week, people text me, about the message last Sunday and said, you know, I got to do better. I want to change. I, I, that impacted my life. Well, let me tell you, that's great. But if you stop there, it doesn't really matter. You've got to put in the effort to get to where you want to go. God will help you. You've got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But it's God that works in you. So you've got to let the word of Christ dwell in you. I was, I was reading about in the 1800s, there was an um, Indian sitting bull. It was very interesting, <laughs> very interesting um, to read about his life. And he kind of fought against the, you know, the Americans and what they were doing to the, to the Indians. And he said, this is a quote. From him, he said, inside of me there are two dogs. One is mean and evil, and the other is good. And they fight each other all the time. When asked which one wins, I answer, the one I feed the most. A lot of us are saying, I just can't seem to get it together. What are you feeding? You feeding that part of you that loves this uncleanness and loves this idolatry. Are you feeding the part of you that loves bowels of mercy and kindness mercy and humbleness, meekness, and 
long-suffering. If you want to be the kind of person that loves God with all your heart, and that does everything, look at what it says, and says everything with his glory in mind, you've got to feed yourself on the word of God. It's that simple. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's not just checking it off a list. That's thinking about it every day. That's thinking about it all day. That's having it in your mind all the time. And if, you, if you'll do that, you'll see that it becomes easier and easier to do things and say things with God's glory in mind and not our own. I hope this has been a, 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 a profitable message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that it's your power through the Holy Ghost, through the spoken word of God that brings us from death to life and that we're here today with a desire to do better, with a desire to love you more. And thank you that you haven't left us without the means by which we can do better and the tools that we can use, whether it be your time together singing songs of glory to your name, singing hymns and to your praise and to your honor, whether it be times where we gather together and confess our faults one to another and pray for one another, whether it be the reading of your word, the preaching of your word, memorizing your word, meditating upon your word. We're so thankful that you've given us these tools that can make us better, that can help us to be better fathers, to be better mothers, to be better children, to be better workers, to be better people, citizens. And just help us to devote ourselves to it. I know this is a high calling. And I pray that my words don't come across as if I've got this together and those in the audience need to get it together like I have. I fail just like everybody else here has failed. And if there's anyone here today that says, no, I've got it together, I hope you will convict them right now and show them where they need to repent and drive the pharisaical attitudes that we so often possess out of our hearts and out of our minds and that we could humbly come to your cross and confess that we are sinners and that we could come to you for help God, we pray that you'd open up doors of opportunity for us to preach the gospel, the gospel of God's sovereign grace, the gospel that changes lives, the gospel that honors you, the gospel that glorifies your son. We pray you'd open up opportunity for us to preach that to others, whether they come here or whether you, you send me or others somewhere. We would the kingdom would expand for your glory the message would go forth for your glory help our church to be about your glory help us to make much of the son of god so that the father is glorified through the holy spirit we thank you lord for this church for the years that it has been here as we come upon our anniversary meeting we thank you for the people before us who sacrificed to, keep, to, to build this building and to keep peace and unity in this place. And we pray, God, that for generations to come, Vestavia Primitive Baptist Church will be a place where your light shines and that our children and their children and their children will be able to worship you here in spirit and in truth. Keep, keep false doctrines and false ideas away from this church and keep peace in this church and help us to love one another, which we know will bond us together. 
God, help us to be better people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll sing a hymn at this time, give an opportunity. If you'd like to come unite with this church, um, you can do so at this time. Brother Joshua, can you start number 124?